Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everyone again. Here we are, August 27th, 2020, on the Neil Garfield Show. And I've got, as I often have, my good friend, compatriot, soldier in arms, so to speak, uh, Bill Padalo. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Charles. Good to be here as always. Uh, So Bill's going to be talking about Lehman Brothers and uh, an associated bankruptcy and some truly massive mortgage fraud. And, yes, it's by the usual suspects. We're talking Wells Fargo. We're talking city mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So we'll also be getting into a little bit of the COVID, the latest uh, COVID-19 front, a little other aspects that we'll be addressing as well. And I will remind listeners that – uh, for Neil's blog, uh, you can always donate right on his blog. And uh, the best way to do that is is simply to go to the blog itself for any donations that you want to put forward. And so, Bill, uh, why don't you just jump right in? Where, uh, where do you want to start on the Lehman Brothers nonsense? Well, yeah, sure. And I think the topic uh, regarding Lehman Brothers and uh, the data and the stuff that I've uncovered from that particular bankruptcy um, really does apply across the board nowadays to um, all the big participants back then uh, who uh, eventually wound up with a lot of uh, settlements uh, regarding the toxic loans that were securitized, settlements with the investors and the uh, trustees. Um So you can really apply this to, uh, for example, the big countrywide settlement with Bank of America for $8.5 billion, uh, so on and so forth down the board. And and really what a lot of this really has to do with nowadays is uh, what we've been saying, and Neil has been touting uh, pretty heavily, is that uh, there just isn't any evidence of any creditor who any debt is owed to. This is all the um, purchasing and selling of data not loans, not really collateral files and original uh, notes and all of that sort of thing. It's just basically uh, flash selling and trading data uh, and and, uh, trying to collect on debts, really, that don't uh, have any of the underlying uh, documentation to enforce those debts when it comes to mortgages and also what uh, is not being uh, disclosed is the absolute fatal defects in, in the chain of title. There just simply is no title to these uh, loans anymore. <clears throat> it's just simply um, a debt that they uh, 
know that um, in the in the databases exist. So um, they're buying and selling this. So really, going back to Lehman, um, as as I've written blogs before, and we, I think we've had a show or two on this topic before. Um, there was a protocol order within the bankruptcy in 2014, which basically spelled out uh, how the uh, what was to be provided, I should say, to the trustees who filed claims for all of the uh, bad loans that the misrepresentations, warranties, all of that that were um, uh, provided to them when they were alleged allegedly had purchased these loans for the trust. And so they've, they uh, received this protocol order, which the court instructed that uh, they were to be given data uh, in on disk files to a third-party auditing firm and that, uh, called Digital Risk, LLC. Uh, and they were to begin doing a loan-by-loan analysis of the collateral files and identify what all the defects and deficiencies, fraud, whatever that might be, uh, existed in these individual uh, loans. Now, we're talking about, you know, roughly 250 to 300 uh, securitized trusts uh, that were uh, basically orchestrated by Lehman or their subsidiaries, and we're talking a lot of different trusts. So in these trusts, you're talking LXS, Lehman Trust, or Lehman Mortgage Trust. You have entities like BNC, uh, even Greenpoint funding. I mean, the list goes on and on um, in terms of all the different trusts and the tens of thousands of loans um, that were uh, going to be looked into and audited, a very cumbersome and very expensive task. Uh, and uh, I think they saw the writing on the wall that soon after they had gotten into about 100,000 loans, uh, it was pretty clear that every one of these loans had serious deficiencies of all kinds, and it really, I think at that point, they they rushed to settle and enter into settlement agreements uh, because, one, it was going to be too expensive, millions of dollars to proceed and continue to audit these files, which were very clear that the litmus test, <laughs> by pulling about 100,000 of them, uh, clearly shows all these serious defects that it wasn't going to get any better, likely. And so uh, it probably made more sense uh, to enter into these settlements with the trustees where they took a, a, ch- a lump of, you know, billions of dollars to settle and, on behalf of the investors and to simply uh, walk away and release the liens from these loans or whatnot or the claims that they had and to basically uh, uh, vanish, at leaving this data uh, for the servicers, hedge funds, and all the vultures and to, to come in and start picking at the carcasses and proceeding to uh, go on and try to collect and foreclose and take these homes as though everything was pristine in the collateral files. And and I think that's one of the biggest questions that I hear from people, and I know Neil and, and I'm sure yourself hears from people, is, is look, everybody knew when the, the economy crashed that these toxic uh, subprime loans, whatever they were, were being pumped into the secondary markets and they took down the economy and the investors had sued for, you know, ever since for hundreds of billions of dollars, claiming that they never, amongst many issues, uh, not just, you know, look, uh, that the underwriting standards weren't uh, complied with. It was, look, they, they didn't get the goods. 
they didn't get the loans. They didn't get the notes. They didn't get, you know, there's, there's, and I'm going to go through a little list of some of the defects uh, that are so cumbersome and, or numerous, numerous, I should say, in the database that I came upon. But um, how is it that that these uh, claims can be made that they didn't get the goods, or they and the goods didn't exist, and there was all this fraud, and yet uh, the other end of the stick doesn't get picked up? Uh, the servicers can go in and claim through their witnesses that they verified the data, everything's kosher, they're holding the original note, and they're entitled to enforce as creditor, and the collateral files are pristine, and, and they go ahead and take the loans. It's virtually, uh, when you look at this data, um, it's it's impossible. And the article I wrote uh, talks about this database. Now I've got a database from this bankruptcy that has 94, a little over 94,000 loans that were filed on, on in claims uh, for repurchase demands and all this sort of thing uh, in the Lehman estate. Uh, these 95, 94,000 loans in this database. Um, have some very detailed information in there about uh, all the defects and deficiencies that were uncovered in the uh, auditing. Uh, and they list up to around a dozen defects potentially for these, these loan files. And it is just an absolute cesspool of consumer violations, uh, TILA, RESPA, misrepresentations of debt obligations, misrepresentation of income, uh, no uh, appraisals by qualified appraisers were, were done or provided, the original notes or notes, there's no evidence of the notes being delivered or uh, in possession of the parties. Um, it, it, it just it goes on and on and on as to these defects, which makes it abundantly clear that there was a tremendous amount of, uh, uh, I guess, you know, for all better terms, fraud, misrepresentation uh, going on. But pre this was predatory lending at, at, on steroids, okay? And, and we knew that. This is nothing new to the listeners. Uh, that these loans and the people who, who these uh, parties got to sign on the dotted line for these alleged loans, I should say, they're not even loans, um, they got them to sign off on this stuff for the, to, to play a part in this scheme. Now, one of the things that this data shows is that out of the 94,000, I'm using just rounded numbers, that's about what it is, uh, About there's only about 5,000 of these loans that are still active today. The remaining 89,000 have all been liquidated, meaning likely that they've all been foreclosed upon and, and, and sold. While having, uh, while the parties who uh, had this data and information obviously never disclosed it, that they had all of these major defects, deficiencies, um, fraud, everything in, uh, that related to the, to the homeowners um, that was completely concealed and hidden. So, you know, in my view, when you look at these defects, it's like, you know, it's, it's, look, they, there was about 89,000, you know, likely uh, stolen homes, really, um, where they claimed to come in with every, having all the proper documentation and everything was clean as a whistle, and they, they took these homes um, having full knowledge that they didn't have the notes, that they didn't have, that the, that the, uh, all the disclosures weren't made. There were misrepresentations in the TILA uh, disclosures that the finance interest rates were uh, not accurate or correct. Um, it just goes 
on and on in this uh, cesspool. So um, what you have now today and what's really going on is you have these um, collapsed trusts, so to speak. When I say the, the trustees and the investors, they signed off, walked away, and settled. And now you've got uh, these parties who are trumping up names of, of these newfangled, uh, they're setting up new what they call trusts and Delaware statutory trusts or whatnot. And what they're doing is they're going out and they're uh, bidding on what's called bid tapes. Right? So, for example, you have an investor or a hedge fund that says, uh, we've got $20 million worth of Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or some of these uh, Lehman uh, debts from that bankruptcy sludge pile, uh, and we want to go in and purchase those debts uh, and make a bid on it. So those bid tapes are made available for inspection. Uh, and you, what you'll see a lot of times, so I'll, I'll just, like one of the big names you'll see nowadays, it's a, one of these debt buyers is New Residential. So you'll see a lot of U.S. Bank Trust as trustee for New Res, this, that, and the other series trust. So New Residential being one of these types of investors. Um, if you look online on the SEC, you'll see that prior to purchasing and setting up uh, one of these credit uh, or these debt trusts, I should say, um, they would send out these bid tapes uh, to have third parties do basically an audit of what's in these bid tapes. Um, and they would have this third party do a – they'd look at all the uh, the information on these data tapes and, and, and assess um, – everything from the origination of the loan to what the defects, deficiencies, and all that sort of thing are. And um, they'll do their due diligence, and they'll report back to new, new residential funding, as this is the depositor, and say, okay, here's what we've got. So, uh, so for example, uh, we have a new res uh, mortgage loan trust 2019-5. And prior to setting up that uh, trust, New Res Funding had uh, the due diligence reports conducted and prepared by a couple of entities, third parties, which they filed with the SEC, uh, one being AMC uh, is one of the companies, and then uh, another one now, I'll have to pull up the other name. But anyway, um, and what you can see from these reports, it's very clear that the third-party auditors, uh, just on this one particular series trust, they found that over 90% of the of the 3,100 loans that were being alleged that were considered to be purchased for this trust, uh, they did a random sampling. So they took about 1,500 of these loans and did the inspection on them. And out of that, they found that over 90% had exceptions. Uh, and then they would grade them out. Uh, with an A, B, C, or D rating, and they would list what those exceptions were. And 90% and of them were, were problematic. And many of them, they don't have the notes. They don't have, I mean, it's all kinds of violations and everything else. Um, the data tape, tapes would often show that the loans would show up multiple times as multiple loans, uh, which is problematic if you've got what we've always said, that you have uh, hypothecation fraud and things like that going on. Um, and what they're telling the investor, what they're coming back and saying is, uh, look, these things are 90% 
it's defective for all these different reasons. But uh, for the most part, they're well-seasoned loans. And you don't have to necessarily worry about consumer claims coming back under TILA, RESPA, and all these things because statute of limitations has most likely subsided and it's probably safe to proceed and go and attack. And one of the things I want, uh, I thought was a, uh, was a great point when you posted the show today is that, yeah, maybe uh, you, if you found out one of your loans was in these audits, so for example, if if you had a Lehman loan or a Aurora or anybody attached or associated uh, that you think in your chain of title, and I look it up in this database and your loan exists, and I've already found several clients' loans in this database, if you have these identified defects and deficiencies, even though you're not filing a claim, can you still uh, utilize that as a defense to foreclosure? So I'll, I'll let you touch upon that in, in just a minute, uh, Charles, but um, just want to finish. Um, they come okay. back and they tell these uh, – uh, residential uh, funding, uh, okay, you've got 90% deficiencies and problems, and yet they still uh, went ahead, proceeded to set up the trust, and uh, and, and went on with to purchase uh, this data, okay? And uh, one of the key parts to that is I have a, a one case and a client now that has it in this uh, particular um, uh, debt trust, and of course, they're foreclosing judicially, and they're saying, we, you know, all our ducks are in a row, and the paperwork is fine. We're holding the original note, the whole nine yards. Well, clearly, um, when the service or witness comes in, as they do in these cases, and they talk about the boarding process and how they somehow attest to the prior services and the the uh, the um, uh, the validity to the, of the information that was put into the systems by the prior services and so on and so forth. These these databases and what's going on here completely debunks that whole story of the boarding process and how they verified the data. Because what you have here is they're taking the data to third parties and they're saying, verify what is it what is it we're buying here what is it that's in this file and and they're coming back saying 90 percent's defective okay uh there's no notes blah 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 and and yet those uh witnesses for the servicers are coming in and ultimately saying it's a business record we did a boarding process we got the loans from so and so and it's part of our business practice blah 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 well it's nonsense because one the parties who actually verified and looked into this, uh, especially through the protocol order in the bankruptcy estate in Lehman, came came back and said virtually every one of these things have serious problems. And because uh, I didn't see, by the way, uh, any information saying, oh, yeah, these loans were pristine or they were good or there were no defects and everything was done accordingly. No, these things are showing across the board to be defective. Um, and so to, to, to have these third parties do these audits and come back and say, not only is it going to be extremely burdensome and costly, millions and millions of dollars to continue to audit these files, these data files, <laughs> uh, but here you, here you got 94,000 of them, and they're, they're pretty much, you know, they're all defective. So uh, I think that there's, there's, a, there's a great way to subpoena and challenge these things now, um, especially knowing what they're dealing with on these, um, on these data trades. 
and uh, going after the witness's knowledge of where this came from. Because, again, uh, if I didn't say this a minute ago, the audits that were done for New Res that's filed with the SEC, they're saying that they're getting their data from third parties. All right? So they're not even – the data is being assembled by – uh, broker dealers essentially who are putting these deals together as third parties so uh, as I read it and as I understand it when the investors are interested in buying a pool of non-performing loans from whomever they will look at these uh, data tapes they will send them to a third party to assess them and if they say, okay, uh, we're going to still, we're going to proceed, we're going to send you 500 million, whatever the dollar amount is, to the broker dealer, and that broker dealer is going to then uh, execute the trade, so to speak, and they're saying that the data is going to be transferred now because of technology improvements in a matter of a day. So that tells you right there, uh, nobody's you know getting the original notes and doing all that sort of thing. It's just buying and selling and trading data. Charles? Uh, as, as usual, Bill, that's really good analysis. I think the takeaway for homeowners is uh, the, the volume of fraud as we've, as we've known, as we've diagnosed, as we've exposed on this show now going back years is, is I think, it's it's not inaccurate to, to say that it's extraordinary. And uh, I think the takeaway for listeners is not just that they, they need diagnostic services such as yours, but as we've talked about many times on this show, they need the discovery tools and the discovery process with any lawsuit that they get in the middle of litigation of, whether it's from the plaintiff's end in a non-judicial foreclosure state or uh, a judicial foreclosure state where, you know, as Neil has pointed out repeatedly, you really do have more rights and, uh, you know, interesting quirk here is that affirmative defenses are not subject to statute of limitations, whereas causes of action are. So, on the defensive end, in a judicial foreclosure, you have more options to get evidence in to essentially present and shore up your case. Uh, but the bottom line is this, is this is yet another huge expose through the bankruptcy process because uh, listeners – I think all the listeners today know the general framework here for a bankruptcy. But just to give a little bit of detail of how it plays out here, remember these investors would have been creditors. They would have been creditors coming into bankruptcy court to try to get some amount, even if it were a token, <clears throat> a token amount of money from the layman bankruptcy. And, of course, they would be far down the, the, the food chain uh, because even where there was a significant investor firm investing, let's say, in a fairly substantial pool of the securitized trust instruments, if you're talking millions of dollars even, 
they're not going to be at the top of the food chain uh, for the Lehman Brothers creditors. They're going to be somewhere in the middle, and then individual investors who had a much smaller piece, a much smaller potential take in any of these securitized trusts, they're way at the back of the line. And yet this bankruptcy court did push for this settlement so that they got a significant piece of the layman pie, so to speak, as it was imploding, as it was being divvied up through the bankruptcy process. And I think one of the big reasons they got that is because when in bankruptcy, you can show that the bankrupting party, whether they're an individual or an organization, when and where you can show that they are, were and have been engaged in fraud related to you as a creditor, where they're engaged in bad conduct related to you as a creditor, that can increase your standing, that can increase your ability to get uh, more toward, not the front of the line necessarily, but you'll be moved up in priority for how your case is dealt with. And that so often happens with these situations with the big corporate players. The payouts end up in some kind of a settlement structure. And so big players get the most, middle players will get somewhere in the middle, and the smaller players at least they would have gotten something here. Uh, so with the remaining time, I did want to talk about some some uh, observable aspects of the COVID uh, scenario. I think, as I've said before, oftentimes for listeners, even just going to your local news online or otherwise is a good way to, to keep apprised of COVID-related updates in your area. All court websites, whether they're federal or state, they all have a COVID section. That's an ex- excellent ongoing resource. I will say two trends are worth noting here. Uh, I'm always looking for angles for judicial procedure that will help the listeners who've turned into this show to get to get intel, to get information about how to protect their own situation or advance their own situation. And again, I will give my disclaimer. This is not legal advice. I'm not making any legal recommendations. I'm simply making observations about the current climate of foreclosures, and this specifically relates to the COVID side of things. I have seen that as a practical matter Uh, Jury trials are an interesting creature right now, Uh, particularly in the unlawful detainer world and in the uh, non-judicial foreclosure world where a specific litigant is a plaintiff because courts are in a complete practical and legal bind. They're literally down in a COVID nightmare where it's becoming very difficult for them to keep jury trials on calendar and to actually hold them because the restrictions related to what the jury and paneling would be, everything from keeping social distancing to whether there are masks or not, and, of course, that's becoming a mandate. In many courts, it's already been a mandate in many federal and state courts in California, and they're already 
some uh, court procedures on the books where that that mass mandate will extend out already well into 2021 from here. So the bottom line is, if you have a jury trial set up in your case, and remember, if you're a plaintiff uh, in a, let's say, a lender lawsuit, a lender-related lawsuit, you can ask for a jury deep into your case. You can't wait forever. But you can ask for a jury, and as long as that's scheduled in your case, if you survive demure, then you can get uh, a lot of procedural issues with the court scheduling your jury trial, which would, which can extend things. Also, on the unlawful detainer front as a defense, if you schedule a jury trial as part of your court procedure, you can extend very greatly the time when you're trialing. So, again, that's not legal advice, just observations. Uh, thanks a lot, Bill. And uh, we will be back, as always, and Neil will be back next week. Thanks, Charles. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.